Chapter Three of Havelock the Dane by Charles W. Whistler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Havelock, son of Gunnar. Now, after I had gone, Grim, my father, tried to bring the child round, but he could not do so, and therefore, leaving him near the fire, he went softly to call Laver, my mother, to help him, and all the while he was wondering who the child might be though indeed a fear that he knew only too well was growing in his heart, for there would surely be only one whom Hodulf could wish out of his way. As he opened the door that led to the sleeping-room beyond the high seat, the light shone on Laver, and showed her sitting up in bed with wide eyes that seemed to gaze on somewhat that was terrible, and at first he thought her awake, but she yet slept, and so he called her gently, and she started and woke. Husband! is that you she said i had a strange dream even now which surely portends somewhat now as all men know our folk in the north are most careful in the matter of attending to dreams especially those that come in troubled times holding that often warning or good counsel comes from them i cannot say that i have ever had any profit in that way myself being no dreamer at all but it is certain that others have as may be seen hereafter wherefore my father asked Leva what this dream might be. "'In my dream,' she answered, "'it seemed that you came into the house bearing a sack, which you gave into my charge, seeing that therein lay wealth and good fortune for us. And I would not believe this, for you said presently that to gain this the sack and all that was therein was to be thrown into the sea, which seemed foolishness, whereon I cast it into a corner in anger and thereout came pitiful cries and wailings. Then said I that it were ill to drown aught that had a voice as of a child, and so you bade me leave it. Then I seemed to sleep here, but presently in my dream I rose and looked on the sack again, and lo, round about it shone a great light, so that all the place was bright, and I was afraid. Then you came and opened the sack, and therein was a wondrous child, from whose mouth came a flame, as if it were the shaft of a sunbeam, that stretched over all Denmark, and across the sea to England, whereby I knew that this child was one who should hereafter be king of both these lands, and on this I stared even as you woke me. Now Grim was silent, for this was passing strange, and moreover it fitted with his thought of who this child might be, since Hodulf would make away with him thus secretly. "'What make you of the dream?' asked Leva, seeing that he pondered on it. "'It is in my mind that your dream will come true altogether, for already it has begun to do so,' he answered. "'Rise and come into the hall, and I will show you somewhat.' On that Leva made haste and dressed and came out, and there, lying as if in sleep before the fire, was the wondrous child of her dream, and the sack was under his head as he lay, and she was wont to say to those few who knew the story that the kingliness of that child was plain to be seen, as had been the flame of which she had dreamed, so that all might know it, though the clothes that he wore were such as a churl might be ashamed of. Then she cried out a little, but not loudly, and knelt by the child to see him the better, and whether he had come to himself before and had dropped to sleep for very weariness, or out of his swoon had passed into sleep, I cannot say, but at her touch he stirred a little. "'What child is this, and how came he here?' she asked, wondering. 
"'Already your dream has told you truly how he came,' Grim answered. "'But who he is I do not rightly know yet. "'Take him up and bathe him, wife, "'and if he is the one I think him, "'there will be a mark whereby we may know him. "'How should he be marked, "'and why look you to find any sign thus?' but Grim had turned down the rough shirt and bared the child's neck and right shoulder, whereon were bruises that made Leva well-nigh weep as she saw them, for it was plain that he had been evilly treated for many days before this. But there, on the white skin, was the mark of the king's line, the red four-armed cross with bent ends, which Gunnar and all his forebears had borne. Seeing that, Leva looked up, wondering in her husband's face and he answered the question that he saw written in her eyes he is as i thought he is havelok the son of gunnar our king hodulf gave him to me that i might drown him then he told her all that had happened and how from the first time that he had lifted the sack and felt what was within it he had feared that this was what was being done hodulf would have no rival growing up beside him and as he dared not slay him openly, he would have it thought that he had been stolen away by his father's friends, and then folk would maybe wait quietly in the hopes that he would come again when time went on. Now Leva bathed Havelock in the great tub, and with the warmth and comfort of the hot water he waked and was well content, so that straightway, when he was dressed in Whithelm's holiday clothes, which fitted him, though he was but seven years old at this time, and Whithelm was a well-grown boy enough for his ten winters. He asked for food, and they gave him what was yet on the board, and we lived well in Denmark. "'There is no doubt that he hath a kingly hunger,' quoth Grim, as he watched him. "'Friend,' said Havelock, hearing this, though it was not meant for his ears, "'it is likely, seeing that this is the third day since I have had food given me, and I thank you, good people.' though I would have you know that it is the custom to serve the king's son kneeling. "'How should we know that you are the king's son indeed?' asked Grim. "'I am Havelok, son of Gunnar,' the boy said gravely. "'Yon traitor, Hodulf, has slain my father and my two sisters, and driven out my mother, whither I cannot tell, and now he would drown me.' Then the boy could hardly keep a brave front any longer, and he added, yet I do not think that you will do to me as I heard him bid you. Then came over Grim a great pity and sorrow that it should seem needful thus to sue to him, and there grew a lump in his throat, so that for a while he might not answer, and the boy thought him in doubt, so that in his eyes there was a great fear. But Leva wept outright, and threw herself on her knees beside him, putting her arms round him as he sat, speaking words of comfort. Then Grim knelt also, and said, "'Thralls of yours we are, Havelok, son of Gunnar, and for you shall our lives be given before Hodulf shall harm you. Nor shall he know that you live until the day comes when you can go to him, sword in hand and helm on head, with half the men of this realm at your back, and speak to him of what he did, and what he planned, and the vengeance that shall be, therefore.' So Grim took on himself to be Havelok's foster-father, and as he ended, the boy said with glowing eyes, I would that I were grown up. How long shall this be before it comes to pass? And then of a sudden he said, as a tired child will, Friends, I am sorely weary. Let me sleep. 
so Leva took him in her arms and laid him in their own bed, and at once he slept, so that she left him and came back to Grimm by the fireside, for there was much to be said. First of all it was clear that Havelok must be hidden, and it was not to be supposed that Hodulf would be satisfied until he had seen the thrall to whom he had trusted such a secret come back for his reward. If he came not he would be sought, and then he would find out to whom he had spoken, and there would be trouble enough. But it seemed easy to hide Havelok on board the ship and sail with him to England as soon as possible. A few days might well pass before a thrall could get to Hodulf, so that he would suspect nothing just at first. There were merchants in England who would care for the boy well, and the two boats might be sunk, so that the king should not ask whose they were. So when Grimm came home again, the fisher would be thought of as drowned on his errand, and Hodulf would be content. But then, after a little talk of this, it was plain that all the town could not be told to say that the fisher was drowned on such a night, and Hodulf would leave naught undone to find the truth of the matter. So the puzzle became greater, and the one thing that was clear was that Grimm was in sore danger, and Havelok also. Then suddenly, outside, the dogs barked, and a voice which they obeyed quieted them. Grimm sprang for his axe which hung on the wall, and went to the door, whereon someone was knocking gently. "'Open, uncle! It is I, Angir!' "'What does the boy want at this time?' said Grimm, taking down the great bar that kept the door, axe in hand, for one must be cautious in such times as these. Angir came in, a tall young man of twenty, handsome, and like Grimm in his ways, for he was his brother's son. "'Lucky am I in finding you astir,' he said. "'I thought I should have to wake you all. Are you just home from sea, or just going out?' "'Not long home,' answered Leva. "'But what has brought you?' "'I have a guest for you, if I may bring one here at this hour.' "'A friend of yours never comes at the wrong time,' Grimm said. "'Why not bring him in?' "'If it were a friend of mine and a man, he would do well enough at my house for the night,' said Arngir, smiling. "'But the one for whom I have come is a lady, and, I think, one in sore trouble.' "'Who is she?' asked my mother, wondering much. "'From the king's town, certainly,' answered Arngir. "'But I do not know her name. Truth to tell, I forgot to ask it.' for she is sorely spent, and so I made haste to come to you. Then Leva would know how a lady came at this time to Arngir's house, for he was alone, save for his four men, being an orphan without other kin beside us, and his house was close to our shipyard and the sea. She came not to me, but I found her, he replied. My horse is sick, and I must get up an hour ago and see to it for the second time to-night. Then, as I came from the stable, I saw someone go towards the shipyard, and, as I thought, into the open warehouse. It was dark, and I could not tell then if this was man or woman, but I knew that no one had business there, and there are a few things that a thief might pick up. So I took an axe and one of the dogs, and went to see what was on hand, but at first there was naught to be found of anyone. If it had not been for the dog, I think that I should have gone away but he went into the corner where the bales of wool are set, and there he whined strangely, and when I looked, there was this lady on the bales, and she was weeping and sore afraid. So I asked her what was amiss, and it was not easy to get an answer at first, but at last she told me that she had escaped from the burning of the king's town, and would fain be taken across the sea into some place of peace. 
so I cheered her by saying that you would surely help her, and then I took her to my house and came to you. Worn and rent are her garments, but one may see that they have been rich, and I deem her some great lady. Go and bring her here, husband, said my mother, on hearing that. But he was already going, and at once he and Arngir went out and down the street. There were many other ladies and their children who had taken refuge here with the townsfolk after the burning, and the coming of this one was but another count in the long tale of trouble that began on the Welsh shore with the ways of Gunnar, the church's bane. My father was long gone, and the day was breaking when he came back. My mother slept in the great chair before the fire, for waiting had wearied her, but she woke as she heard Grimm's footstep, and unbarred the door to him, ready to welcome the guest that she looked for. But he was alone, and on his face was the mark of some new trouble, and that a great one. He came in and barred the door after him, and then sat down wearily and ate, for the first time since we had had our meal at sea, and while he did so Leva asked him nothing, wondering what was wrong, but knowing that she would hear in good time and when he had eaten well he spoke. "'The lady is Elaine, the queen. She has been wandering for these many days from place to place, sometimes in the woods, and sometimes in hiding in the cottages of the poor folk, always with a fear of staying in one place, lest Hodulf should find her, for it is known that he is seeking her. Then at last one told her of my ship, and she is here to seek me. Now one may know what the wonder and pity of my mother was.' and she would fain have gone to her. But Grim had left her at Arngir's house, for folk were stirring in the town, and there were many who would know the queen if they saw her. "'It'll soon be known that Arngir has a guest,' my mother said, whereas none would have wondered had she been here. "'By this time to-morrow it will not matter if Hordulf knows,' answered Grim, "'for she will be safe. "'Where will you hide her, then, and what of Havelock?' "'For those two there is no safety but across the sea.' and they are the most precious cargo that I shall have ever carried. Already Angir and the men are at work on the ship, getting the rollers under her keel, that she may take the water with the next tide. I shall sail with the tide that comes with the darkness again, saying that I shall find cargo elsewhere in other ports, as I have done once before. I had not looked to say farewell to you quite so soon, my mother said, but this is right. Now I will have all things ready, that the queen shall be in what comfort she may on the voyage. But it will be well that none shall know, even of your seamen, who the passengers are, else will word go to Hodulf in some way hereafter that Havelock has escaped. I have thought of that, answered Grim. It will be best that none, not even Radbar, shall know who this is whom we have in the house. A chance word goes far sometimes. The boy will tell his name. There are many who are named after him, and that is no matter. Do you speak to him, for it is plain that he has sense enough, and bid him say naught but that he and his mother have escaped from the town, and, if you will, that he escaped in the sack. I will speak to Rudbard, and there will be no trouble. Only Arngir must know the truth, and that not until we are on the high seas, perhaps. So there seemed to be no more fear, and in an hour the house was astir and there was work enough for all in preparing for the voyage. As for me, I went down to the ship with my father, and worked there. Now I will say that not for many a long year did I know who this foster-brother of mine was, 
it was enough for me to be told that he was the son of some great man or other with whom hodulf had a private feud nor did i ever speak of that night's work to any for my father bade me not to do so presently i knew of course that the lady was havelok's mother but that told me nothing for i never heard her name we worked at the ship for three hours or so stowing the bales of wool and the other little cargo we had and then my father sent me to the fishing-boats for a pair of oars belonging to the ship's boat that were there and as it fell out it was a good thing that i and not one of the men went when i came to the place where they were drawn up on the beach as we had left them last night there was a stranger talking to some of the fisher-folk who were working at their nets not far off and though another might have paid no heed to this i with the remembrance of last night fresh in my mind wondered if he was by any chance there on an errand from hodulf i thought that were i he i should surely send some one to know at least if the fisher went out last night after i had spoken with him so i loitered about until the men went away which he did slowly passing close to me and looking at the boats carefully as if he would remember them then i went and asked the men to whom he had been speaking what he wanted they said that they wondered that he had not spoken to me for he had been asking about my father and of his ship and if he took any passenger with him this voyage it would seem that he wanted to sail with us from all he said certainly he had begun by asking whose boats these were and wondered that a merchant should go fishing at all when there was no need for him to do so also he had asked if grim had been out last night and they had of course told him that he had not for neither boat had been shifted from the berth she had been given when we came in at dusk ah oh, he had said well did i wot that your merchant would do no night work and so made a jest of the matter saying that in his country it were below the state of a merchant to have aught to do with a thrall's work he was certainly a norseman and they thought that i should find him with my father now i thought otherwise and also i saw that all was known this man was a spy of hodulf's and would go straight back to his master my father must hear of this at once and i hurried back to the ship and took him aside and told him and as i did so his face grew grey under the tan that sea and wind had given it and i knew not altogether why tell angir to come to me he said i am going to the jarl tell no one but go home and say to mother that i shall be with her in an hour then come back and work here then he and arngeir went to sigurd and told him all from the beginning and when the jarl heard he was glad for the safety of the queen and of havelok but he said that there was no doubt that denmark was no place for grim any longer that is my thought also said my father but now am i havelok's foster-father and for him i can make a home across the sea where i will train him up for the time that shall surely come when he shall return and take his father's kingdom that is well the jarl said but you have little time what hodulf will do one cannot say but he may come here with his men behind him to force me to give you up and the town will be searched for havelok and both he and the queen will be lost if that is so my father answered we have time enough two hours for the spy to reach his master one hour for hodulf to hear him and to bethink himself an hour for gathering his men and four hours at the least in which to get here eight hours at the least have we and the tide serves in six i had thought of waiting till dark but that is of no use now 
we may as well go, for there are true men here who will wait to welcome him who flies when he comes again. This is a sore wrench for you and yours, good friend and faithful, Sigurd said, but it must be. Nevertheless, I can make your loss as little as it may be. You shall sell all that is yours to me at your own price, that you have the means to make a new home well, wherever you may choose. At first my father would not have that, saying that there would be much trouble on his account presently. But Sigurd said that first the trouble was not of his making at all, and next that if Hodulf plundered the place it was as well to send away as much as possible beforehand, and lastly, and this is what touched my father most, that he must think of his charge. Why, old friend, you are giving up all for Havelock, as would I, and am I to have no share in the training of him for the days to come? Therewith he waited for no more words, but went to his great chest, and took thereout chain after chain of linked gold rings, and put them in a canvas bag, without weighing or counting them, and gave them to Grim. "'Lord, here is enough to buy half the town,' my father said. "'What of that? The town is Havelock's by right, and maybe you can buy him a village across seas with it. But give me a full quittance for my purchase of your goods and cattle and house, that I may have right to them.' That Grim did at once, before witnesses who were called in, none wondering that he chose thus to secure his property while he was away, because Hodulf might make demands on it. They did not know that any money changed hands, and thought it formal only, and a wise thing to be done. After that Grim and Arngeir took leave of the Jarl, thanking him, and they went to our house. There waited my mother anxiously enough, for she knew from my message that there was somewhat new to be told, or my father had not left the ship, nor do I think that what was to be done was altogether a surprise to her, for she had thought much, and knew the dangers that might crop up. So, being very brave, she strove to make light of the trouble that leaving her home cost her, and set about gathering the few things that she could take. Now on the hearth sat Withelm, tending the fire, and he heard presently that we were all to go to sea, and that pleased him well, for he had ever longed to sail with his father. As for Havelock, he had waked once, and had well eaten, and now was sleeping again. Then said Withelm, when will the sacrifice to Aegir and Ran for luck on the swan's path be? Scant time have we for that, my father said, for tide will not wait. Then, said the boy, it were well to take the stone altar with us, and make sacrifice on board. I have heard that Aegir is wrathful and strong. Then my father said to Leva, The boy is right in one thing, and that is, that if we are to make a new home beyond the sea, the blue stones that have belonged to our family since time untold should go with us, else there will be no luck in this flitting. What matter? West, they came with us in the days of Odin, and west they shall go with us once more, my father said, and there was an end of question on the matter, for presently Arngir came up with the team of oxen and a sled, and my father hastily cried to Thor, as in time of sudden war, and then on the sled they loaded the stones easily. I helped, and it is certain that they were no trouble to uproot or lift, though they were bedded in the ground and heavy. Wherefrom we all thought that the flitting was by the will of the Norns, and likely to turn out well. But in no way could we lift Thor himself. It was as if he were rooted, and maybe he was so. Therefore we left him, 
but sadly. One may suppose that, had any noticed that Grimm was taking these sacred things with him, there would have been a talk. But as we sailed light, none thought them aught but needed ballast, and we brought other stones to the ship with them, and afterwards. Of course folk did wonder at this sudden sailing of ours, but my father made no secret of his wish to get out of the way of Hodulf, who had taken the ships of one or two other men elsewhere, so that all thought he feared that his would be the next to be seized, and deemed him prudent in going. As for our own crew, they were told that it was certain that the ship would be taken unless we went on this tide, and so they worked well. Very early in the morning, and unseen, Orngir had brought Elaine, the queen, on board, and she was in the cabin under the raised after-deck all the while that the bustle of making ready was going on. Only my father went in there at any time, unless he gave the key to one of us, for there he kept his valuables and the arms. Presently, when all the men were forward and busy, I got Havelock on board, unnoticed. We had kept Whithelm running to and fro from ship to house, with little burdens all the morning, mightily busy, and then, when the chance came, Havelock, in Whithelm's clothes, and with a bundle on his head, came running to me. I waited by the after-cabin, and I opened the door quickly and let him in. Then he saw his mother, and how those two met, who had thought each other lost beyond finding, I will not try to say. I closed the door softly and left them, locking it again, and found Whithelm close to me, and Arngeir watching, to see that all went well. Soon after that there came a Norseman, dressed as a merchant, who talked with my father of goods and lading, and whither he was bound, and the like. When he went away, he thought that he had found out that we were for the Texel. But I do not know that he was from Hodulf. There had been time for him to send a spy in haste, however, if he wished to watch us, but at any rate this man heard naught of our charges. Then, at the last moment, my mother and the children came on board, and at once we hauled out of the harbour. I mind that an old woman ran along the wharf when she found that all were going, and cried that Dame Laver had not paid for certain fowls bought of her, and my father laughed in lightness of heart, and threw her a silver penny, so that she let us go with a blessing. And after that it did not matter what the people thought of this going of ours, for in an hour we were far at sea, with a fair wind on the quarter, heading south at first, that the Norsemen might see us but when the land was dim astern, and there was no more fear, bearing away south and west, for the Humber, in far-off England. Now that was the last I saw of Denmark for many a long year, and I knew it must be so. But, as I have told, none but my father and mother, and now Arngir knew all that we were carrying with us. End of chapter 3 Read by Tony Foster